Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Well, take your Bible and let's uh, look at Ephesians, uh, the end of chapter 4, and we're going to go right into chapter 5. I've entitled the uh, message this morning, Live a Life of Love. Live a Life of Love. You know, it uh, wasn't uncommon for evangelical churches not too many years ago not to hear too many messages on love. The, part of the reason was is that the, it was thought that the liberal church uh, that's all they talked about was lovey, 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 dovey, dovey, lovey. And it was not a biblical love. It was not Christ's love. But the, it was so much uh, uh, promoted by the liberal church that uh, the evangelical churches felt like, uh, uh, well, we can't touch that topic because uh, it was a love undefined. It was a love not according to truth. And therefore, uh, a saturated, syrupy, non-biblical love. Therefore, let's speak the truth. Well, even in my own life, as I think back on my teaching about uh, the love of God, the love of Christ, the love of Christ in us as believers, uh, it hasn't been all that many messages. And yet I've been struck as I thought about it, even when I was in Doha, the need for us to bear this incredible quality of God like never before in the difficult day in which we live. As a boy, my mother bought me a number of books, and maybe you were the same way about that, and uh, some of these books included tracing paper. Did you have that? Tucked inside the books would be uh, these pictures, and then every so often would be uh, tracing paper. And uh, I remember the first one I got, my mother would say, well, just trace it out, and then get your crayons and color it in. And during those wee years, you know, it's funny how you remember. You think you'd never remember things like that, but it's tucked away somewhere. And in fact, did you know you never forget anything? How about that? There's a thought. You just have a retrieval problem. It's up there. It's just a matter of connecting the, uh, the ganglion so that you can uh, get the right file open on that. But I remember doing that and uh, tracing that. I was always in a hurry to do that. And she said, don't make slop, you know. I, I know you want to get outside and play, but really work at this thing. As a little, little boy, right? And I did that and uh, actually would, uh, would, uh, would color them and paint them, and she would make much of them. Blessed be a mama, right? Oh, dear mama. Uh, since I'm not very artistic, some of you are. I'm jealous. Not in a sinful sense, but I wish I was. Uh, I can't draw a straight line without a ruler, and, uh, but uh, I can't even draw but stick figures of people. I don't know how you do that. Some of you are good at that. But uh, this is the closest I came to an artistic expression. Uh, well, save paint by numbers. That, that, that was the other. You know? <laughs> yeah, paint by numbers, oh, I was glad to get those too. But uh, that's the closest I could do to producing art. Well, this idea of tracing paper is what Paul has in mind in our text this morning when he commands believers there in the, uh, the Ephesian church to imitate Christ. Imitate Christ. They in that day and we in our day, we are to have the markings of Jesus Christ all over our lives. 
as if it were traced with tracing paper. Christ in you, Christ in me. That is, if you know Christ the Lord is your Savior. Yet I'm reminded that it's absolutely impossible to do on your own. You say, well, I'm going to work on that today. Well, you can do that, but you must realize you can't muster it up. It has to be the Holy Spirit who is in you. If you're a believer, and if you're a believer, all of you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Spirit's work in you that is conforming you, making you like the image of Christ. Now, you all know it's not a physical likeness. But it's the character, it's the inner qualities of who you are. That's who you really are anyway. You're not your body. The world confuses to think that's all you are is your body. You're just material. No, no. It's a part of you, but you are not your body. You are the inward soul that inhibits and inhabits that body. Inhibits. Probably so inhibits too. But inhabits that body. And uh, that body, that, that soul within you, that's you, you're being conformed into the image of Christ, and it's the Spirit's yearning and working in your life and mine to bring that about. Well, Paul has one specific quality in mind when he's talking about tracing or he's talking about mimicking, and that is that you and I are to imitate uh, the love of God. Now, that's an amazing thing when you think about Some of you have studied world religions I hate the word religion because it's a relationship with our Creator through Christ. It's an R word, but it's religion is so cold, as if it were one of many on this pantheon of thought. It isn't. And when you read the different uh, ones, and some of you have in comparative uh, religion classes and so on, um, you discover how markedly different our God is from all the rest. And all the rest are figments of the imagination at best the worship of demons, Paul says in Corinthians. They never existed. There's no God Allah. You may hear a lot about Allah, Allah, Muhammad. Muhammad did live. He died and he, he was buried and that was it. Uh, there's no God Allah. I'll hear a lot of calls when I'm in Doha six times a day to worship Allah. Allah. It's the figment of the imagination. It's the worship of demons. Or some of the others in Buddhism and the impersonal Zen and all that nonsense. It's absolutely nonsense. And when you consider that our God is a God of love, that He is the great lover, it just it overwhelms me when I think about it and give some time to that. That our God is the great lover. He loves. He is the great lover. It's not Romeo and Juliet. Not some sappy love story on the ladies' uh, 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 channel on TV, right? Our God is a great lover. And He's working that love in your life and mine, and He wants us to be just that way in our lives. The Bible contains the greatest love story ever. And it wasn't even the book by that title in the 60s. Remember that movie, The Love Story? or God's, it is uh, the Bible, and that's the great book on the love story. It's God's love for lost, sinful men and women. And Paul, in this letter to the Ephesians, this great uh, city, this great church, uh, pagan to the core, the worship of Diana and the temple priestesses and the perversion of sexual love, uh, 
preaches the gospel, and uh, this wonderful church is, uh, is born there by the Spirit of God. And, and Paul writes this letter, which is, uh, we know it as Ephesians in our Bible. He writes uh, back to them, and uh, of all the epistles in the Bible, it uh, gives the, the, the mystery and the wonder and the awe of the church. The church, the mystery of Christ, the bride of Christ, the wonder of it. You can read all the other epistles and you don't find the lofty expression that, that, Paul, that God makes through Paul of the church as he does here in the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters are highly doctrinal. And then he moves into 4, 5, and 6 as a result of the truth of the church and of saving faith in men and women's lives and, and of the congregation that God has brought together there at Ephesus and we here at Grace. He writes by implication, these are the realities that ought to be in your life and mine. And we're not going to read all of them, but uh, let's pick it up in chapter 4 and uh, let's uh, look at just our text for today, verse uh, uh, now let's back it up to verse 29 to get a little fuller of the context. And you know the chapter divisions were la- added later, and so there shouldn't have been a break here at chapter 5. Four, 429 and following. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of atonement, redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger. Now he's talking, now let me stop. He's talking to believers here. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. And here's our text for today. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. The title of the message is Live a Life of Love. I would love to see us really embrace this as a church, as individuals. It would change our lives, our marriages, our homes. It would change the way we relate to people in our community we work with and go to school with. I think it's the most tremendous uh, presentation of the gospel that could ever be made. It really is. People don't want to hear more of legalism. They don't want to hear more of failure. They don't want to hear more of a condemning spirit. But they want to see a sermon. You ever the expression, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day, right? And as you and I become unleashed and trace, as it were, or imitate God in this through His Spirit and are the hands and the feet and the eyes and the heart of Christ loving others, it will make tremendous impact upon people. It's not in us to do this. We're intensely selfish and self-focused. It's Christ in us that can do this. It's hard for me to believe that next month will be 12 months since Wendell Kempton 
was suddenly taken home to heaven. He used to come and sit here when he was in town, when he wasn't traveling around the world. And uh, I lost a dear brother, friend, neighbor, mentor. To me, he was like the Apostle Paul. I never knew anybody like him. Uh, never did. And I'll never forget his funeral because his, the one comment that was made has uh, rung in my ears and has motivated me like a few things. And it was said of Wendell that um, in his graciousness and in his, his incredible love of Christ for people, that he loved people so that they knew he loved them before they even had an inkling that God loved them. And I thought to myself, Lord, that's what I want to be. I want people that I meet wherever I am. If I'm going down to the Y to get my swim in, if I'm at uh, the Wegmans, amen, Julie, uh, at Wegmans buying a cup of soup, or wherever I am, that I would be a blessing and a hope and that Christ would be seen in me that I would have opportunity to see those that maybe are in tears or hurting around me, that it would be the love of Christ loving through me. And then just maybe I may have an opportunity to tell them of the love of Christ for them. That has motivated me. That has challenged me. I have felt the weight of failure at that so very, very much in my own minding, my own little P's and Q's. Ask the Lord to forgive me for that, that I might be a conduit of the love of Christ to every one of you and to all that I should meet. And I want it increasingly as the days of my life are quickly going that the love of Christ would be seen in me. It doesn't matter what kind of sinners they are. It doesn't matter what they've done to me. You know what I'm saying? It can't even compare it to the mountain of sin. Well, look at it that I've committed, that I've been released of in total. I'm going to say it. I don't want to nickel and dime people. I've been forgiven a Fort Knox pile of sin, an enormous amount, or Mount Everest, if you will. Well, there are three ways in which God's love should be reflected in my life and in yours as a believer. Paul is very pointed, very clear on this. It's uh, don't need a advanced degree in astrophysics to be able to figure this one out. It's just hanging there very simply, and I appreciate that because I can get my arms and my head and my heart around it, and so should you. Three ways in which God's love should be reflected in your life as a Christian. This is hugely different from the world's idea of love, which is usually selfish and sensual in a wrong sense. Well, the first way is, is that you are to reflect and I am to reflect God's love with a forgiving love. That's what he said to us here in 32b. He said, forgiving. It's a present active participle. It means we're to do it and keep doing it. Forgive each other. He's talking to the believers there. And by implication, all others. Just as. Here's a comparison in Christ, God forgave you. We are to reflect God with a forgiving love. Now, most of God's attributes I cannot imitate. When you think about it, theologians are fond of talking about different categories of God, that God has self-disclosed and revealed himself to us in the only book he ever gave. 
And some of the qualities of God are beyond us. For example, you, you cannot imitate God's eternality. You're, you're, you just arrived and so did I. We're but a moment. Now we'll live forever. But I didn't live back before, you know, not too many days ago. I was a brand new thought. And so were you. So we can't imitate God's from everlasting to everlasting. Impossible. Incommunicable at- attribute, they'll call that. Or how about God's power? You know, like I have power, I have strength. Yeah, it's extremely limited and decreasing. I reached the point, someone said, at 26, and it's downhill from there. Although I'm not sure, it might have happened sooner, right? God is omnipotent. I can't imitate His omnipotence. He speaks the Word and it happens. Creation. Man. Jesus doesn't even say the word, and there's fish that never swam in the sea, and he's feeding people with that. Grain that never grew, and they're eating bread, munching on it for lunch there by the Sea of God. That is the power of source, which is easier to say, thy sins be forgiven, or take up thy bed and walk. You know, they're like, what did he just say? The point there is, in case you're wondering, only God can do either. Only God can forgive sin. Only God can heal with power. So take up your bed and walk. I can't imitate God's. I can't trace out His power, nor can you. And these kind of things are beyond us, His knowledge. You know, I could be smart if I could ever remember everything I ever learned. I've studied three, four, five languages. I have a hard time with English most of the time. You know, what's a gerund? Does anyone know? I'm still perplexed by that in English. My daughter could help me. She's, she's an English ed person. But uh, so these are, these are some of the areas we cannot imitate God in. But the command is, is almost startling to us. It's the only place that it, it occurs in the Bible where we are commanded, and it is an imperative, we are commanded to imitate God. And, and on your outline number two, it is in loving that we are called to imitate or trace out our Creator. In the Greek, it's the word mimic, or we get the word mimic from, we know what that is in sports. You know, you get an outstanding athlete, right? Some of you are into golf, and you go like, how does Tiger Woods do it, you know, with his stroke? i got to imitate that. Man, I, that's a champion swing. Not too many years ago, everyone in, on the basketball court was imitating Michael, Michael, Michael. You didn't have to say his last name. Everyone knew you met Michael Jordan. How does he do that? He shoots off balance, and that he makes those shots that we would imitate that. That's the word here. We're to trace out or imitate or build into our life this quality of God, this fact that God is love. That's what he's calling you and I to do. And the first way be that we are to to love like God is that we are to forgive all who have wronged us. Have you ever been wronged? Have you ever been wronged uh, already today? It probably is a better expression. Same to you, fella, out there on the road, right? <laughs> Hopefully not in the parking lot, right? Or when you came in. I mean, we constantly hurt people and offend people and offend each other. It's just the law of physics. Moving objects come close and there's friction. There's heat. It happens. And we offend each other. We wrong each other. We do it when we don't realize it, and we do it intentionally. We do. So now you're sitting there looking good. Now you too, you've done it. I know you have. 
I'll talk to your wives, and we'll find out that that's the case, right? Well, we are to forgive those who wrong us. Now, the word number one, to forgive, aphemy, it's the Greek word aphemy, is simply release. Sometimes after a wedding, uh, I've seen it where a bridal, she'll say to me, I've got this wonderful idea when we go out before we get in the limo and drive away, we've got these doves, we're just going to let them go and fly away. And in her mind, she's got this romantic view of all these doves flying away. And that's she and her, her, new, fa- her new husband are going to just, that's it, the symbol of their life. The last time I saw it, I, I, th- I think I told you, it's the funniest thing in all the world. They flew up, they went around, and they landed on the power lines. And they sat there, white doves. Oh, my. I don't think that's what the bride had in mind. But the word forgive means to release. It means to be set free. God has set us free from all of our sin, all of it, intentional, unintentional, it matters not. We are to do the same. We are to seek forgiveness. We are to release those that wrong us. It speaks to our marriages, husband and wives, how how often we wrong and hurt each other and scar each other. And say things we shouldn't say or, or things we ought to do and we don't do by omission and commission. In our families, we hurt each other and say things and disappoint and anger and, 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 and so on. And, and, and with our friends, in our church, our church family. Well, I didn't know he would do that or, or this or that. It's not what I expected. And, and I heard what you said and these kind of things and they hurt. Our actions and our words, we hurt each other. And we do, and we are to release and to forgive and to practice it. And it's a way that we demonstrate the love of God in us is by quickly releasing each other. I've said in many marriage, pre-marriage counseling, if I could, if I could go into their bedroom and on their headboard, I'd carve one thing into the headboard, and that's James's expression that let not the sin go down upon your wrath, your anger. That every night you would deal with uh, the, the offenses so that they would not accumulate. And that uh, you will strangely and suddenly have far distance between you. and Deal it every day, day at a time, so when you go to bed you sleep well, you're forgiven, and then you start new the next day. Isn't there nothing nicer than a brand new day? I mean, you can have a blowout of a day, and, uh, and deal with it, find forgiveness as we focus on this. And in other ways, days can be very disappointing. And, and then the sun comes up the next day, and it, it fills us with hope and joy and the prospect of today's going to be a better day. And I thank the Lord for that. Really, I do. And in marriages, it can be like that in others. In a strange way, I thank the Lord earlier this week that uh, days don't last for like weeks on end. Imagine that guy could have done that. A day could have been like seven days in length. Oh, my, that was, talk about the long day, right? And when you have a bad day, it just goes on forever. I don't know how that would work with our sleep and awake cycle, but I'm glad it doesn't go on for like 30 days, you know, like the spinning of the earth and that, but they come pretty quickly. Have you noticed that? And daily, we ought to release and forgive and cleanse. And you'll have a sweeter life and a sweeter marriage if you'll do that. That's what he's commanding us to do. We are to forgive. We are to forgive each other 
just as Christ, in, in Christ God forgave you. Listen, I'm going to fail you. Don't put me up on a pedestal. I am not the Lord. I'm going to let you down. I will. And you're going to let me down. I promise you. I'll, I'll release you and forgive you. You know why? Because you'll let me down a whole lot less than I failed my Lord. I've been forgiven an incredible amount. And when you let me down, and you will, I'm not going to keep that nickel. I've been forgiven an incredible amount. I'm going to be generous because I want to be that way. I want to heal the relation. I don't want anything to come between. I don't. If I had anything against any of you now, I'd be talking to you right now or even before this sermon. And that's the way we ought to be as a people, as a church, in our family, in our homes, in our workplaces. That's what he commands us to be, to forgive. You know, people crave to be forgiven of all their wrongs. I read one psychiatrist. He wrote, as far as I'm concerned, I'm quoting, most of what a psychiatrist does is directly related to forgiveness. People come to me with problems. They feel guilty about their part in them. They're seeking forgiveness, really, at the end of the day. John Stott quotes uh, a head of a large mental hospital there in London. And he quotes, and I write, and I, and I read his quote, I could dismiss this uh, head of the Scottish Mental Hospital, I could dismiss one half of my patients tomorrow if they could be assured of forgiveness. This is what we have in Christ, forgiveness. Therefore, we can forgive all others who wrong us. We can do, even, even as Jesus taught us to pray, Father, forgive us our debts, even as we forgive those uh, who, uh, who have uh, provided debt against us, our debtors, those who have offended us and hurt us and sinned against us. And, you know, it's those who are closest to us when they wrong us and hurt us that hurt the worst, right? If someone way over in the circle of your life says something about you, you go like, well, he's an idiot. He doesn't know anything, Right? But if it's your near partner or someone near and dear or close in your circle and they say something or do something or don't do something they should have done, it hurts. It hurts badly, doesn't it? It aches. We're to, we're to release and to forgive. We're to do it instantly. The reason why we can, number two, forgive others is that we have been forgiven a mountain of sin by our Heavenly Father. A mountain of it, I tell you mountain. The link between knowing yourself to be forgiven, being a forgiven sinner and being able to forgive is absolutely essential. It is only through knowing ourselves to be forgiven that we are set free to forgive all others. We have been forgiven an innumerable debt. I love that phrase. I always remember that. We're not the nickel and dime those who wrong us. We have been forgiven an incalculable debt by God through Christ at the cross. We forgive like God completely and forever. And we don't keep it. Some wives struggle with this. Uh, men, uh, we, we, maybe we mean it, a lot of times we don't, but sometimes we hurt our wives. And wives, sometimes you don't keep a list. Thank the Lord for that, though I've seen in counseling a lady pull out a list or two, a long list of offenses. And sometimes in our minds, we won't forgive our husbands and release them. 
the things they should have done. And we need to do that under the command of Christ, forgive and release, considering how Christ has forgiven you because of his work at the cross. God's forgiveness is not a mere overlooking of sin either. God takes sin so seriously that he dealt with it fully and finally at the cross. And hear the words of Jesus at the cross, one of the last seven words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Listen, we are to be extremely generous in this. Generous. And we're not to wait for people to come and ask for forgiveness. We're not. The text is real clear on that in other places. Release and forgive. Do it immediately. Don't allow a place in your heart where bitterness can lodge. It'll diminish you. Forgive. And even the Lord says in Luke, if someone were to, to offend you seven times in a day, he's exaggerating. That's the same sin against you. Release them. Forgive them. Let it go. Don't uh, manipulate or hold them as somehow in a form of self-righteousness, that somehow you're better than they or they did that, you're going to hold them and manipulate. Release them just as Christ has done you. Now, I just know in a room this size, some of you really battle with this. We are to imitate, trace out the love of God in us through Christ by releasing and forgiving. And some of you may just may need to make a list as God brings to mind different people that you have buttonholed and nickeled and dimed, that you have not been unforgiving, that you have been unforgiving and not released them. And God is not pleased with that. You're to release instantly, totally. And it doesn't matter if they keep running over your toes like Roadrunner in the old cartoon, right? Beep, beep. Mm. And they just keep running over the coyote's feet, your feet, over and over and over again. Because it doesn't even begin to compare to what you have been forgiven in me. We are to be that way. I'll never forget when when uh, Matt was killed, and to see his mom and dad, uh, I mean, that's a terrible thing. To have a drunk driver kill your son. And to see in the weeks that follow, and some of you remember that, Tom and Mary struggling with their own injuries from that accident. And through their own tears, absolutely forgive and release that illegal immigrant drunk, who had killed their son with so much promise. I'll never forget it. That image screams to me that I ought to do the same. In fact, it is the command of Christ, not only for them, for me, but for all of us. Listen, when you and I don't release, we become truncated, midget, less than what God wants us to be. Release. Let it go. It doesn't matter if you've got a bushel basket of wrongs. Let it go. Maybe spend some time this afternoon, Lord. I've been holding on to this. I've been holding on to that. Let it go. 
You'll never know the joy of the Lord in your life. You won't be used by Christ like Christ wants you to be. Maybe it was a dad or a mom who, who just abused you or they were absent or whatever. Let it go. Children, grandchildren, maybe it's a workmate, a partner. Somebody took you to the cleaners. It happens. It happens. Let it go. Forgive. And the first way in which we are called to do that, the love of Christ in us should be reflected, is we are to reflect with a forgiving love. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He goes on to tell us the second way in which God's love ought to be traced out and imitated or mimicked in our life in 5.2 is that we're to reflect God with a giving love. Forgiving and now giving. And it reminds us that God is the great giver. Look at 5.2 again. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave, there it is, himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, picturing his great work at the cross. God is the great giver. He's the greatest giver. We are to learn to be very generous, to be a giver, not a taker. There are too many takers. We live in a country that's filled with takers anymore. What's in it for me? I want, uh, I want the person off who will do it for me. We see it in business. We see it in school. Everyone's a taker, not a giver. We, we ought to be givers. We ought to reflect the love of God in us through Christ by giving, by being generous. We ought to often practice random acts of kindness. You know what that is? Just being kind. It's, uh, it's an expression of love and it's an expression of giving, kindness to folks you don't know and the people you do. Random acts of kindness. I'll tell you what, you do that, you're going to be a happy person. Givers are people that have joy. It's more blessed to give than receive. Uh, we, we find that in Acts 20, not in the Gospels, but Paul quotes Jesus. After all, you know what Jesus said. It's more blessed Happy, or happinesses, it's plural, more blessed to give than to receive. And I want you folks to be a bunch of happy people. And I know as you and I cling on and hold on, and me, myself, and I, whether it's in our words, our time, our talents, our checkbook, or whatever else, if we would just allow ourselves to be the conduits of blessing and giving in a community, in a time of economic uncertainty, that we would be a blessing, our lives would be more joyful. This church would be more happy. It would be, reach more people. I don't know what's up with those people, but they, they're so happy. Haven't they read the headlines? People are losing work, the economic uncertainty. Our 401s are becoming 201s and the like, Right? And yet we're generous and kind and giving. That's what God wants to do through us. And if, we, if he would do that now, when it's darker, it'll glow even brighter by contrast. Because people are miserable and grumpy. The only good news is gas has dropped. Amen? One amen. Okay, I don't know what you're driving. <laughs> well, the greatest 
ex, the greatest exhibition of giving, of course, was Calvary. That's what he's talking about in 5.2, where God's own Son uh, gave his life for us to pay the price we could never pay, and provide atonement for our sin. You know, you can put all religions, use that word again, into three categories. Did you know that? You can sum them all up this way. There are some that say don't, and under that category, don't, don't do this, don't do that, don't, don't, don't. Some of you came out of so-called churches, you hardly ever heard the gospel. It was there, maybe, but it was filled with a bunch of don'ts. You don't do this, you don't do that, don't, 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 don't. There are a lot of even evangelical churches that majored on the don't, 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 don't. What do you do? Well, I don't know, but we're again it, you know, that kind of stuff. And a lot, of, a lot of world religions are like, yeah, don't. Then there are those that are under the category of do. Do this and do that. And you're trying to merit favor with some sort of God, you know. Go to Mecca on your knees. Oh, well, that'll be great. I'll be happy. I'll get into heaven. Won't that be? Do, 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 do. So you got don't, you got do, and then what's the last? Done. Only biblical Christianity. God has done it all. That's the great news. In Christ, his payment at the cross, paid in full. It'd be great to have your mortgage paid off. You get that uh, mortgage uh, deed back from the bank, stamp, satisfied, paid in full. That's what has happened to your sin and mine through Christ's great work at Calvary's tree. That's the basis of it. That's the greatest demonstration. Christ, uh, Jesus Christ's death was both a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And there, God modeled this love in the highest possible way at the cross. Wasn't that man who was in love up in Toronto, built his wife a, a castle? I've seen that. It's incredible. Castle Loma up there, incredible. Man, that wasn't the greatest, though that's quite a stretch, right? The greatest demonstration of, of love, sacrificial love, was at Calvary. And I have a Listed under number two, a number of verses, you know them. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. How about 1 John 4.10? I wrote it out. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's done. It's a finished work. God gave, he gave, he gave. He demonstrated, he put his love on the ultimate display. There'd be a lot of Christmas displays and windows as uh, merchants try to entice uh, buyers to come in at the Christmas time. It's very typical. Even you'll see it in a, an economy that's off, and people wonder about retail sales for Christmas. The one window that I always, about Faithy and I, break our neck looking at is that incredible bakery up, what there? Pennsylvania Bakery. Have you, I mean, their window display is absolutely unbelievable. How many of you have seen that? It almost makes you want to go in and get a cookie or something. I mean, it is unbelievable. Amen. I heard an amen there. Trish, was that you? <laughs> That's Okay. Oh. oh, Betsy. Betsy worked there. No? Oh, Diane. All right. I'm following the ladies back here. Okay. Well, there it is. But beyond this, beyond uh, the, the, the greatest gift given of our, the atonement of our sin, listen, God has given us everything. What do you have that you've not been given? The Bible asks that question. 
The answer is everything. We, everything we have is on loan to us. Everything. God has given us the gift of life. How about the gift of beauty and the ability to appreciate beauty, whether it's in music or whether it's in the fall foliage, the autumn colors, the beautiful colors. God has given us the, uh, the aesthetics and the appreciation of beauty and form and in all of its uh, variety. God has given us more than that. He's given us a place to live and to work, food and clothing, children and and grandchildren. Going to have another one here in December. Can't wait. Wow, everything. He's given us everything. Naked we came, naked we go. Everything He's given us. Everything. He has given to us. He wants the love of Christ to flow through us, that we would imitate God in not only being forgiving with all others, but that we would be givers. Givers. That's what we ought to do, for God loves a cheerful givers. Listen, don't leave this place and say, well, all right, all right, I'll give because Pastor said I ought to give a random act of kindness. I'll keep it. You just lost, you lost any reward. <laughs> You might as well keep it and hold on it like the miser you are. Be generous. Be cheerful. Give. Give. Be a generous giver. All through, not just Sunday morning, be great in your giving to the Lord and your stewardship, but make that as a mark of your life. Somebody moves into your neighborhood, faithy for, for years, she'll often make a, a basket and bake goods and we welcome them in. We want to give. The neighbors have kids. So you want to use it? Well, we invite use it. You know, just whatever you have. Be a giver. Lawnmowers. I can't wait till it snows. I want to do our neighbor's uh, a sidewalk with a snowblower. I've only used three times in two years. Spoken like a true buffalo boy. But this thing is incredible. It's got heaters on the handle and I got a light. I could even go out after dark. This thing's brand new. I'm still waiting to really use it. Anyway, well, with David going to Indiana, I've got to have something. I have. Be generous. That's what he's saying. We are to give ourselves to others. How do we do that? Our time. You know, time is such a precious thing today. It's almost the most valuable thing we can give. You sense somebody's hurting, somebody's out of work, Brenda mentioned others. Somebody uh, is in need of time, have lunch with them. Have a cup of coffee. Call them on the phone. Send them a note. That, that time, it shouts. The time that some of you took to write those little cards, those little notes for me. I hardly get any of those. I don't know. I don't know why. I guess we don't give cards anymore. I keep those. They go in my file on a bad day, rainy day. I'll pull them out and read them. Thank you for your notes. And we ought to be note-giving, folks. And, and time it represents time and effort and thought. Our words, our resources, our abilities. You're able to do something someone else is not able to do. We, you, you lend that. You give that. You do that. That, that, that creates a joyfulness in heart, a cheerfulness as we give. Um, you make a, here's the expression, I put it down, I say it a lot, you make a living from what you earn, well, you make a life from what you give. I mean, that fills the caviar and the fullness of life is what you give. Be a giver. Be uh, generous with your words and your time and your ability and your, and your money and, and, and be generous that way. Look, if I'm still around and I have your funeral, i got news for you. you. You won't be taking anything with you. Be generous with it. 
Be generous with your time. It'll be all gone at that point. Give like your God. Practice it today. Give sacrificially even. Have you ever done that? Go without? Most of us have never even done that. Go without. Say, I'm going to skip a meal because I think someone else may need it. And give it to them. And feel the groans in your stomach. Say, Lord, thank you for that. You're so good to me. I can give this and, and, uh, and I probably don't need to eat it anyway, you know. <laughs> I'm sort of ahead of the game on that. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Giving people are the happiest people. Try it. Try it today, will you? Make a mental note. Look around. Who, who needs a word of encouragement? Who needs some help? Who needs some time? Maybe the word would bring a name to mind. And you might even today do that. Try it and see. And if it's not true, you come back. I want to know. You come back and tell me. Call me on the phone. I gave and I, it, I was most miserable. Would you do that? Call me up. Say, it didn't work. I want to talk to you. In a hurry, I do. All right? Forgiving? What kind of love? Forgiving? Giving? In the last, verses 32 to 51, it's a living, a life, a love. It's a living love. What he says, we are to reflect. Uh, what, does, uh, what does it mean to live a life of love? He says it right there clearly in verse 2. And live a life of love. Or walk in love is, is the exact translation. Same thing. Well, it's a practical love. And it's a practical love that Paul's been writing of in Ephesians 4. Now, we are to what? And he goes back and look at uh, verse uh, 25. I have these listed. What's it mean to live a life of love in a general sense? It means that we put off lying. We love people. We tell them the truth. We speak the truth in love, but we speak truthfully and honestly. I still don't know exactly how to work that out, men, when, when our wives will ask us, well, what do you think of my hair? I, ne- I always, my, Faith is so good at that, so it's always an easy answer for me. It's so beautiful. <laughs> and you could quote me on that if uh, you're in that situation, men, because you say, do, do and I... Don't use the word interesting. I found that never works. Well, that's interesting. They don't take that positively. And remember, a woman's hair is her glory and crown. That's right. Not to us. And what I would say, well, it's only hair I learned about my second years of marriage. That doesn't translate at all. It's, oh, honey, what's the difference? It's only hair. That uh, I didn't get a good meal that night, probably, and for the next night, no, no I, I always did. Faith is, I got to go home with her. She's always been so kind to me. <laughs> she is. I told the people in Doha, people put up with me because they love her, and they laugh, and I said, yeah, I know, they laugh there too, but they know it's true. <laughs> Covers a multitude of sin. Anyway, put off lying and speak truthfully. That's how we live a life of love. Second, put off anger. Some of you, are, you say, well, I'm Irish. That's no excuse. There may be certain families and dispositions and nationalities that are more fist to cuff. They drink a little bit, and then they're boxing each other's ears in or something, you know. That's no excuse. I'm Irish. I beat the guy up because I'm Irish. Well, listen, you're a Christian, and anger should not be expressed that way. All right? That's not how you love people. In fact, daily, we're to take care of this. I already said that about a uh, marriage. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Not doing this has ruined more marriages. Three, how do, how do we live a life? Put off stealing at five-finger discount. 
You're not to steal a man's watch or his wallet or his wife. That's not a loving, that's not living a life of love. In verse 28, as Paul calls us to put off stealing. Rather work. Why? Why should we work? So that you can share. There it is, giving. Get a job. Get employed. Why? So you can take care of uh, live indoors and eat. So you can give to the Lord's work and so that you can save some and then be a blessing with some. That's a happy life. Look, it's going fast. Live this way. Live a life of love, Paul is saying, to the Ephesians and to us. How do it? Fourth way, put off unwholesome talk from your mouths. Remember, he's talking to Christians here. Instead, speak to help others. One man writes, our speech must always maintain or elevate others. Unwholesome talk. You know, we, I see it more in the younger church. The younger generation saying, well, I can swear. Where's the Bible say I can't use this four-letter word or that four-letter word? And there's a sense of liberty there that ought not to be so. It hinders the light of the gospel in you. For you to be running off at the mouth and swearing what we would say profanity. And we're not even talking about the Lord's name. That's always out of bounds. But that kind of attitude does not square with living a life of love where Paul commands, put off unwholesome talk from your mouths and speak instead only that which helps others. And for a believer sensing, well, I have liberty, I have freedom, and I can just rip it off, I don't think that's helping anyone who hears. In fact, it brings down the crowd at that moment. Number five, put off bitterness. He says in verse 31 and 30, put off bitterness and rage and anger. And instead, look what he says, and instead, what? Be kind and compassionate. That's what God's doing. We're to be kind and compassionate to one another. That's living a life of love. That's Wendell Kempton. That's Doc Kempton. And he was a crusty Iowa hard-headed guy when God saved him and, and developed him and, and grew him into things of Christ and began and to be a head of a mission and then to really impact the world. For, but that, he's not just doing that in Wendell's life or in my life or in Faithy, but all of our life. If you know Christ, this is what you are, ought to be becoming. Living a life of love. Well, how do we do it? And B, this living love can only be found in our lives as we spend time with the God. That's it. It's not through one-a-day vitamins. Take your vitamins. Take your protein and all that. But it's not through that. It, uh, it's, it's, it's really opening your Bible. It's, uh, Lord, speak to me. It's grow me. It's teach me. It's memorizing the verse of the month and more. It's uh, being faithful in worship. It's growing in grace. It's taking notes and then studying this later in the week, being a Berean to see if I, I got it right, and then to build these things into your life and to practice them. Now, this is a very practical, I trust, message. You can say, I'm going to leave her. I've got to deal with some for I've had an unforgiving heart. I've, I've not been generous in giving with my time, my abilities, my talents, my treasury. Lord, forgive me on that. I've not lived this life of love. I've had bitterness and malice and, and, and these things in my life, and I've got to deal with it. And you can leave here right now and say, Lord, make me into this person. 
And as you and I open the Word and allow it into our life and spend time on our knees and praying for our loved ones and our family, I guarantee you, you will grow to be like God. And you will be obedient to the command here. Mimic me and live a life of love. Well, what can we say by closing lessons for our life? Number one, we'll be done here. You and I as Christians are to live a life of love. Let's give ourselves to this. Let's do it with each other. Love each other deeply, even from the heart. Let's give ourselves to being the loving body of Christ, church, church family that we ought to be, that God wants us to be in our individual lives and collectively as a church. Let's give ourselves to it. We're going to give ourselves to something. Live a life of love. Number two, stop being unforgiving. It's, uh, it's natural for us to do that. You say, well, you know, where'd that come? It, you've got the old bent within you, so do I. It's easy to do that, nickel and dime people. It's easy to do it. Stop doing it. Stop being unforgiving. Release all. I don't care how badly they hurt you. Release them. Forgive them. As you pray to the Lord, Father, I forgive them for hurting me, hurting my loved ones, hurting my church, hurting my whatever. Release them. And as you have opportunity, tell them, I release you. I forgive you for that. And incidentally, one pet peeve of mine, when we wrong each other, don't say, I'm sorry. It's okay to say, I'm sorry, but don't stop there. I'm sorry, just you're expressing your sentiments. You have to ask for release. Would you forgive me? You see the difference? I'm sorry I said that, honey. Will you forgive me? You've got to go that far. You're asking to be released at that point. When you say, I'm sorry, you're not asking to be released. You're just saying, boy, I felt badly about that. Don't stop there. You're almost to the goal line. Get it in the end zone. Will you forgive me? Okay? Biblically, that's so. Number, number three. Today, practice random acts of kindness, of love. Give. Be a giver to others. I heard a story of a, of a pastor who wanted to do just this and wanted to be an example. And uh, he went into a restaurant. He looked around, and uh, he had prayed to the Lord, maybe there's someone in here that I could encourage. He looked around the restaurant. And he found a couple, and uh, he went over to the, uh, to the server at the desk and said, see that couple over there, do you have their bill? I want to pay their bill. And then when, the, when they ask for the bill, just say, somebody took care of it already. Random acts of kindness. He had prayed and said, uh, you know, whatever couple needs to be encouraged, and just sensed the leading of the Lord and did that. That's a random act of kindness. And if you think about it, all over the place, we could be doing that kind of thing. Random acts of kindness, of love. And we don't have to have our names in spotlight. I'd rather not, frankly, because sometimes my motives are mixed, and, and I don't want to lose the blessing. Some of them think, well, Zabolski did it. You know, like, I'd rather, like, where did that come from? And I know, and the Lord knows, and that's all that really needs to know. Isn't that neat? That really helps our motive, too, doesn't it? It helps sort that out because often that gets kind of mixed up and tangled with it. Number four. Number four. 
Remember, it is only by the Holy Spirit in you that you can be like God. That's it. It's, it's the love of Christ in you. It's the Spirit of God. And you spend time in God's Word and in prayer, and this is what God is doing in your life. To imitate the love of God. And finally, a call for salvation, number five. For any of you here uh, that may not know Christ, urge you to come to Christ today and be saved. You come just as you are. God loves sinful men and women so much that he demonstrated that. He sent his own son Christ to die for your sin and for mine. Simple prayer of faith. Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. Thank you for dying for me. Live a life of love. That's for me. That's what I want to do. Amen? How about you? Amen? Let's do that as a church. Let's think of, take these things to heart. Let's make some changes that we need to do in our life today. And let's regather today rejoicing that God is still working within us. That grace is the loving church that God desires us to be as we reach out to a community that desperately needs to know Christ.